it makes you feel. I don't know, sometimes it makes you feel like, wow, they actually remembered me. It makes you feel a little bit special. Or, I don't know, maybe on the flip side of that, maybe it makes you feel really awkward because actually you've forgotten their name. And so you're in that really awkward position where you're like, oh, yeah, they've remembered me. I have no idea who you are. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, um, I was introduced to someone who was brand new at church. They'd never been here before. Um, and they told me their name, and it immediately left my head. And, uh, and then I was trying to introduce them to someone else, and it was an awkward moment where I'm like, uh, well, yeah, you guys have a chat, and I'm <laughs> so uncomfortable. But I don't know, I feel like I might have got away with it, but it just makes you feel a little bit awkward, doesn't it? Just blanking on someone's name, you're just standing there like, nope, it's not coming, I have no idea what's going on. And just this week, in fact, a new neighbour has moved in across the road and we took in a parcel for her and she came over and introduced herself, picked up a parcel um, and I introduced myself as well. And the first thing I did was get in the house. I was like, Ruth, she's called Kath. <laughs> Don't you remember? Because I'll forget. I think it was Kath. It might have been Kathy. Something like that. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? But names are important to us, aren't they? Names are really important. It's how we identify with other people. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the importance of names in the past. And, you know, that's a really important message about, you know, understanding that our identity is found in who God calls us. It's what God calls us that's, that makes us who we are. It's him that gives us our identity. But what we're going to look, look at over the next few weeks is not about our names and our identity, but we're going to look at God's name and how he reveals his identity to us. And so in Exodus, we read about an encounter that we touched on a little bit a couple of weeks ago between Moses and God, where Moses comes across this burning bush and God begins to speak to him out of this bush. And God says to him, Moses, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then God goes on to set before Moses this plan of how he's being called to rescue the Israelites. And so Moses then, having heard this challenge and this call from God, goes back to God with a question. This found in Exodus 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And then they ask me, what is his name? And so Moses asks, then what shall I tell them? What shall I tell them? And so God replies to Moses and he says, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so in this interaction, this encounter, God refers to himself as I am who I am. And you know, a name that we know for God is, is Jehovah, which is a, a Latinization of the name Yahweh. And what I find interesting is that Jehovah, it literally means I am the one who is, which is, sounds a little bit like this interaction, doesn't it, between God and Moses. But it still seems to me a little bit open, a little bit vague. I'm not really sure how to wrap my head around what God is actually calling himself here. I am who I am. It doesn't really compute. It doesn't quite make sense to me at least. Um, but what I find interesting is that word Jehovah, it also appears as the root to several other names as God begins to declare his character and his identity to us. 
Jehovah Elohim, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who sends peace. And there are many others as you read through the scripture. God begins to reveal himself. He begins to reveal his identity and his character through his name. And I believe the reason that he does that is because he wants to build a relationship with us. He wants us to get to know him better so that it can firm up and strengthen our relationship with our Heavenly Father. As he reveals his character to us through sharing these different names, it's an act of intimacy with us as his children. It's an expression of his love for us because he's not remaining distant. He's not remaining far away, but actually he's letting us in a little bit. He's letting us understand a bit more of who he is. And so when Jesus arrived on the earth, God in human form, he continued this pattern that God had began in the Old Testament, revealing more of his nature, revealing more of his character, through, not only through his actions, but also through the names that he gave himself. And so as you read through John's gospel, we see Jesus reveal himself in seven I am statements, referring back to that encounter with God and Moses, where God says, I am who I am. So Jesus declares these seven I am names. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And so we're going to spend the next seven weeks unpacking and digging into these seven I am statements that Jesus made. And I believe that as we do, as we, as this passage says, reflect on the glory of who God is through this revelation of his character and his nature, through these names, I believe that he will transform us more and more into his image. Because as we know him better, we can know who we are in him better. So today, week one, we're going to look at this declaration from Jesus, that first I am statement, I am the bread of life. But before we get to that moment when Jesus actually says this, when he declares that name for himself, we need to look at the events that that lead up to this moment in order to get an understanding of the context. When you're reading the word of God, context is so important. Because we can pull scriptures out and they might sound great in the moment, but actually you could be using it completely out of context. So it's great to just read a few chapters or a few verses before and maybe a few verses after so you can understand exactly what it is that's being said to you in that moment. And so as we look at the the context of this first I am statement, I am the bread of life, when you look back, what you'll find is that Jesus performed a miracle just a few chapters before. And it sets the foundation for what he's saying through this first I am statement. And that's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. 
And what happens here is that he's actually carrying out an action. It's a practical demonstration to us of the words that he is about to speak. Did you know that throughout the Gospels, the four Gospels, other than Jesus' resurrection, there is only one miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels, and it's this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I thought that was just an interesting little fact, if you didn't know it. I didn't know it until this week. So there you go. Um, So we know this miracle, don't we? Even if you've not been in church for very long, you've probably heard about the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with two loaves and three fishes or however many it was. And well, I suppose actually it says 5,000 men, doesn't it, in the scriptures, but actually the reality is that there were women and children there as well. So it's more like 10 or 15,000 people, which, I mean, 5,000 is enough, isn't it, to blow your mind that God can do this miracle. But actually, when you think of it like 15,000, it's like flipping out. This is just, it's insane what God can do in his power. But there's an interesting conversation that happens just before we see this miracle and it's between Jesus and Philip because Jesus sees this large crowd that have gathered around to hear what he has to say. And so he looks at Philip and he says, "Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat?" Where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? And it says in verse 6 that he asked this to test Philip. He was testing Philip because he already knew what he was about to do. I love that. Jesus already had a solution to the problem that was in front of them. He already had a plan of action. He knew exactly what it was that he was going to do. Can we take comfort from that this morning? Can we take comfort from that? Because actually, whatever solution, whatever circumstance, whatever challenge it is that you're facing, God already has a solution. He already has a plan. He already has the answer. Does anyone remember the old Smarties adverts? Only Smarties have the answer. It doesn't make any sense, but I quite liked it. But the truth is, as cheesy as it may sound, only Jesus has the answer. He's already got a plan. And maybe what he's doing by kind of withholding it from us in the moment is maybe he's testing us. Maybe he's testing us that actually we need to trust in him a bit more. We need to rely on him a bit more. We need to be looking to him rather than perhaps trying to solve this on our own. He's already got the answer. And it's interesting how Philip responds to Jesus. And I think it's probably the same way that I would respond to Jesus had I been faced with this question. Because Jesus asked the question, where will we get the food from? But Philip answers with a how response. He says, if even 200 denarii would not cover the bill for this many people. There is no way that we can do it with what we've got. Jesus is asking how, uh, Jesus is asking where, sorry, but Philip is answering with how. Philip's response is super practical, isn't it? I'm a very practical guy. You put a a problem in front of me, if I begin to face something that's difficult, before anything else, I will almost definitely try to work out a practical solution to this problem. I will try to figure out how I can best get over this hurdle. It's quite frustrating to Ruth because she doesn't go there. That's me. I'm like, look, there's this problem. There's this reason why it might not work. This could get in the way. What about this, this, and this? And Ruth's like, We don't need to worry about all that. She's very encouraging. She's a much more holy person than I am. But Jesus is asking the question, where? And Philip is answering with a how. Philip is looking at this ridiculous situation, this impossible situation, and he's looking at it in the natural, isn't he? 
But Jesus doesn't work in the natural. Jesus works in the supernatural. So Jesus is asking where, but Philip is answering how. But the truth is that the how can change. You see, strategies and and methods and ideas, they can come and they can go and they can fluctuate and they can change. But the where, the where remains constant. The where remains the same. I ask you, where is your source? Where is your hope? Where is your provision? Where is your inspiration? Where is your motivation coming from? And hopefully we can have the confidence of the psalmist in Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. How, we might not know, but where we can be certain of. Where we can be certain of. Can we be thankful this morning for just how faithful God is you know, you might be facing something really tough and actually that's kind of knocked your, your kind of viewpoint on how good God is because we're struggling with this one thing at this moment in time. But remember all of the good things that God has done. Remember all of the good things that we read about God doing in his word. God is faithful. We may not know how he's going to be faithful, but we know where it's coming from. And I know where my praise and my thanksgiving and the glory is going to go after God has answered. And so we know the story, don't we, in, uh, of the feeding of the 5,000. And Andrew goes and he, he finds this kid that's got five loaves and, and two fish. And he offers that up to Jesus. And he says, look, this is all we've got to, to feed this multitude of people. It's a, it's a pitiful offering, but this is what we've got. And the incredible thing is, and we know it, don't we, that out of the lack comes this incredible miracle and everyone gets fed. Everyone gets fed with leftovers. So they've got their Sunday lunch and they've got dinner for the rest of the week as well because they can take themselves a doggy bag home. Everyone is fed out of their lack came this incredible miracle. And so I wonder, what can Jesus do with our lack? What can Jesus do with the little that we have to offer? Are we, are we perhaps guilty of, of holding back a little bit from God because we're waiting until we've got what we think is enough? Oh, I'm just going to hold on until I've just accrued enough money before I sow into that work. Or maybe I'm just going to wait until I've been able to just create a little bit more space and a little bit more time in my life before I commit to serving in that ministry. Maybe we're just guilty of of holding back from ourselves because we think it's not quite enough for God. I just want to make sure I've got enough for God before I hand it over to him. But what do you have? And it might look like very little. But if you hand it over to God, whatever it is that you have, he can turn your lack into something abundant. And I think the the cool thing about this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is that Jesus didn't need this boy's lunch, did he? He didn't need that food in order to feed the multitude. He could have just done it if he wanted to. He could have just spoken a word and they'd have all been fed and that would have been absolutely amazing. But he appreciated and he made use of what was given to him. 
He doesn't need us to give him anything, but he wants us to give him something because he wants us to practically demonstrate that we are committed, that we are in this, that we have faith in him, that we can trust in him. Even with our little, we can trust and believe that he will turn our lack into something amazing. (coughs) So don't wait. Don't hold on. Don't just think, oh, I'll just wait until I've got a little bit more. Give Jesus what you've got and see what he can do with it. Give him your little and see what he will turn that into. And so after this miracle happens, um, the crowd are just wowed by what's gone on and it says that they want to crown him king and so Jesus decides to just slip away to get away from the crowd and, and just kind of, he goes away, doesn't he, up the mountain to pray just to be with his father. And then it says that the next day the crowd came and found him again. The crowd that he'd been speaking to, they came and found him again but Jesus challenges them. And I quite enjoy this. Jesus challenges them. He calls them out in John chapter 6, verse 26. He says, Truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus is suggesting that, that these people were almost oblivious to the fact that he performed a miracle, feeding them with, with basically nothing at all, because they were too busy enjoying the lunch that had been provided to them. Now, if the, if the water into wine miracle before Jesus even began his ministry was anything to go by, then I can only assume that this lunch that was shared with the multitude was the best bread and the best fish that they had ever experienced. And so I can almost get hold of and grasp hold of the fact that they were just enjoying it. I love bread. I absolutely love bread, as bad as it is for us. You sit me down with a whole tiger loaf and a pat of butter, and I am a happy man. You can just, that's dinner for me. I'm good. I love bread. But I like to think that actually if I'd have been there in that moment, yes, I'd have enjoyed the food that was provided for me, but I wouldn't have missed the main thing. The main thing being Jesus has just performed an incredible miracle. He's turned nothing into an abundance And so Jesus calls them out. You're only following me because you had a nice lunch and you've come looking for more. You want more of this. But what he's saying to them is that that food that I gave you yesterday, well, that was only temporary. That bread was only there to last for a moment. You can get other places to fill your belly. You can go to other sources and get food that will sustain your physical body. But I'm the only one. I am the only source that can fill the emptiness that is inside of you. What I have to offer is eternal. That bread that was just for a moment, but what I have to give you, the bread that I am talking about lasts forever. And then as we move on through this scripture, we see the people asking Jesus, well, what must we do? What must we do to get what it is that you're talking about? And as you read through the Jesus story, you'll see that that's actually quite a common question that's asked of Jesus. What do I need to do? Because what Jesus is offering, 
what he is demonstrating to the people is just, it's too good to be true, isn't it? Because I'm giving you something and I'm giving it you for nothing. And so people ask him and they seek him and they say, what do I need to do? Surely this gift is not free. I must earn something. I must pay something. I must achieve something. I must do something in in order to deserve what it is that you're offering me. It cannot be true that there are no strings attached. What is the fine print to what it is that you are offering me? But the simple answer comes in verse 29. Believe in him who sent me. Believe in him who sent me. That is it. It's as simple as that. Believe in him who sent me. We just need to believe in God. We don't need to pay. We don't need to earn. We don't need to strive. We don't need to achieve in order to deserve, in order to warrant, in order to gain what it is that God is giving to us. All we need to do is believe in God. He just wants relationship with us. That is his desire That is his longing, to be in relationship with his children, that we would believe in him, that we would want to get to know him, that we would want to spend time with him, that we would want to talk with him, that we would want to listen to him. But it's when we move away from relationship and when we drift into this idea of earning or paying for that things begin to go wrong. Church becomes a chore when we move away from relationship. Tithing becomes an obligation when we move away from relationship. Serving becomes a stress when we move away from relationship. Connecting into life group becomes an inconvenience when we move away from relationship. This crowd, they were following after Jesus because they wanted the benefits that he had to offer. They wanted this good bread. Fill us, provide for us. We are hungry. Yes, they're hungry, but the reality is that they didn't actually know what it was they were hungry for. And Jesus says to them, you want this food that is going to keep you going forever? All you need to do is believe. That's all I'm asking of you. But then they come back to him again. They come back to him again and they say, well, what sign will you give us? So they've said, what will we do? But now they're saying, what sign will we give us? What are you going to do for us in order to make us believe what it is that you're saying? Well, you've just seen Jesus give you a whole meal for 10, 15,000 people out of one boy's packed lunch. And now you're asking me for a sign. What are you going to do to make us believe like that wasn't enough for them? What are you going to do? And then they reference Moses saying, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Look at what happened back in our ancestry, in our history. What are you going to do? This happened. But Jesus corrects them and he says, Moses didn't give them manna from heaven. Moses didn't do that. God did that. God gave the bread from heaven. And now I have come from heaven. I have come from heaven. That manna fed the Israelites and it fed their physical needs for a season. But now I have come from heaven. And I will fulfill your spiritual needs forever. Jesus was saying they needed to trust in him to provide. He's saying to us, 
We need to trust in him to provide for us. And it's a daily thing, isn't it? You know, we say in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Not just one time, not just a couple of times, but every single day we need to be looking to our Heavenly Father. We need to be trusting in Him. We need to be relying on Him. We need to look to Him as our source, as our provision daily. And so they ask Him, well, give us this bread. It sounds great. Give us this bread. And Jesus says to them in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. What a declaration. You know, John records Jesus talking about life multiple times before we get to this, uh, this I am moment that happens just here. Maybe something you want to do this week is just read through the first six chapters of John and just make a note of how many times John talks about life. He brings out this idea of life and you'll find that he loved it. 47 times through the entirety of John's gospel is this idea of life mentioned. <clears throat> and there are three primary Greek words used to talk about life. If you look back in the original language, there's bios, which is talking about the physical body, and it's where we get the word biology. There is suke, which is speaking to the soul, the mind, the emotion, our will, and where we get the word psychology. And then the third one is zoe, which is talking about the uncreated eternal life of God, the divine life uniquely possessed by God. That's Zoe. And so when Jesus says this, this declaration, I am the bread of life, you might expect the language to be used in that as bios, because we understand that bread is a source of natural provision. It is something that we need for our physical bodies. And so you would perhaps expect the word bios to be used, talking about the physical meaning of, of life, sustaining life. But what makes this statement so profound and so unexpected to those hearing is that the word used is zoe. It's Zoe. It's talking and it creates this, this tension that highlights that this bread that Jesus is talking about is something completely different from the bread we ate yesterday. He's talking about something completely different. He's talking about this bread, this life that is eternal, that's divine, that's unending. And you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus used this analogy of bread shortly after he had fed the 5,000. In fact, I can go as far as to believe that he knew that he was going to make this declaration. And so that is why he performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000, which blows my mind all over again because of just how amazing God is. But he uses this imagery of bread and Jesus is essentially saying, I am essential for life. I am what you need for life. Nothing else, as we sang, nothing else. I am what you need. I am essential for life. 
And bread was understood to be a nutritional necessity. It was a staple part of the Jewish diet and it was, had historical significance, didn't it, with the, the manna, the bread from heaven. And also it was an integral part of the, the Passover feast. So bread was something they understood, they got, they grasped. It was imagery that they could, they could get on board with that was relevant to them. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is using this metaphor intentionally. Salvation and relationship with him are not an occasional thing. They're not just an every now and then thing. They're not just a dip in and out of thing. He is essential to our lives. And so Jesus is saying to them when he makes this declaration, I am the bread of life. He is saying, I am essential to your life. I am all that you need. I am everything that you need. I am your source. I am enough. I'm more than enough for you. I am enough to feed you right now with leftovers. It's that imagery of pouring us filled to overflowing because that is how good God is that he doesn't just give us enough. He doesn't just fill us up to just about enough, but he just pours and pours and it overflows and it overflows because of just how amazing he is and just how much he loves us. I hope you can get hold of some of that this morning, that actually God loves you. He doesn't just love you a little bit. He's not just for you a little bit. He doesn't just care about you a little bit, but he cares for you more than enough. He just wants to pour out his blessings into you and keep on pouring out his love and his peace and his grace and his joy into your life. And you know, we look for source and provision and life from a whole bunch of places. And, you know, we, we need this. We need this provision and we, we go searching for it in all kinds of places. But whether we acknowledge it or not as well, you know, I don't know what it is for you, whether it's social acceptance or, or the right job title or salary or the flashiest car or, or the perfect family or the perfect figure, whatever it is that you're looking for to give you fulfillment in your life, you can only find that fulfillment through Jesus, who is our source, who is the bread of life. Jesus is everything that we need. All of that other stuff, it doesn't matter. You know, it might feel good to, to achieve one of those goals, but it doesn't matter. It counts for nothing. All we need is Jesus. Without him, without the bread of life, there is no hope for salvation. Without Jesus, we do not have relationship with our Father. But by identifying himself, by Jesus making this declaration that I am the bread of life, by identifying himself as the deity, by identifying and saying, I am God, the source of forgiveness. Jesus was making a way where there was no way. He was creating a path that means that we can now have relationship once again with our heavenly father. Because that was broken back in the time of Adam and Eve that actually we were separated from God. This, this chasm was opened up that meant that we couldn't have a relationship with our Heavenly Father without going through a whole load of rituals and sticking to a whole bunch of laws that essentially were impossible for us ever to attain to or keep to. But Jesus came and he said, I am the bread of life. I am essential to your life. If you eat of me then you can have 
that relationship with your heavenly father, that that can be restored to you. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. They asked him, what do we need to do to get this bread that you're talking about? And he replied, just believe. All you need to do is believe. That emptiness that so many of us feel, and I believe all of us have felt at some time, it's a, it's a soul craving deep within us, and we search for something to fulfill it, and we look in all kinds of places trying to, fill, trying to fill this void, this emptiness, this hole that is inside of us, but there's only one thing that can curb it. There's only one thing that can fill this hole, this gap, this space in our lives, and it's the name and the person of Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. He is our source. He is our provision. He is everything that we need. And so I don't know what it is that you're, you're looking for, you came in for this morning, what it is that you're praying for and believing for, and please don't stop praying for and believing for those things because God is a loving father. He is a good, good father, and he wants to bless you. He wants to pour out his blessings on you. But the key thing, the main thing, the thing that all of the multitude missed out on when he did that miracle, it's great if you go back and read through the scriptures because he does this miracle, and the next day they come to find him, and he begins to speak these words over them, these challenges that say, actually, all you need to do is believe in me. And as you read the scripture, you'll see that people begin to drift away. They begin to hear this challenge that Jesus is speaking to them. And the thing that he's saying is, all you need is me. Stop looking in all these other places. Stop searching for fulfillment in all these various places. All you need is me. And it says people begin to slowly drift away, slowly walk away because it was too challenging. What he was saying was too hard for them to grasp hold of. How can that be all that I need? What about this? What about that? What about the other? And Jesus is saying, no, I am essential to life. I am all you need. I am your source, your provision, your provider. All we need is Jesus. And all we need to do is believe. Amen? Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you for just this, this revelation of being able to start on this journey, looking at the, the I am statements that you made. And so I pray that as we go on this, this journey over the next few weeks, looking into this, you'll just begin to reveal more and more of your identity, of your character, and that we'll grasp hold of that truth, that, we'll, uh, that it will actually impact our souls and our spirits, that we'll begin to recognize not only who you are, but who we can be in you when we know who you are, when we truly get to know who it is that you are that we'll grasp hold of that and we'll be able to replicate that, that we'll be able to reflect your glory, that you'll transform us from the inside out to be more and more like you because that's who you want us to be. You want us to be your representations here on earth, that you want us to look like, act like, speak like, think like you and we mess up sometimes, we fall short, we fail and I pray you'll forgive us 
for those times when we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we fall into the temptation of sin. Forgive us for those times, Lord, and, and help pick us back up and put us on that path, that narrow path that leads to life, the bread of life, the source, our provider, our provision, everything that we need. May we never forget that you are all that we need, that we don't need to look anywhere else, that you are our everything, if we just believe.